Last week I mentioned that some people are good at pursuing and others not so much. I think that's probably been uh, the experience of most of us. I have a friend, an acquaintance who lives locally, and um, from time to time I'll stop by to see him, usually at his workplace, once in a great while at his home, or I'll just simply text him, say, how are you doing? Uh, But sometimes time goes by and weeks can go by and sometimes even a month or more, even a couple months that I don't reach out, and, and uh, literally, I never hear from him. And, uh, and, and I would sometimes, it would be easy for me to take it personally, except that I know that this is his pattern, because we have some mutual friends. And inevitably, when I do eventually stop by or again text him, I'll get this sort of response of being uh, miffed or even annoyed. I never hear from you. He has a car, he has a phone, he knows where I live, he knows where I work. He doesn't pursue, but he wants to be pursued. Any friendship or relationship that has a hope of going anywhere has to be reciprocal. It, can, it, it can't be all one-sided, even though one person may initiate, one person may sort of be the driver of it, but it has to at some point be reciprocal if there's going to really be a relationship. As my good friend, Pastor Adam Roller, who pursues me and I pursue him, and so we have a good friendship, he said to me last week, if you're pursuing and the other other person isn't responding, then you're just a stalker. (laughs) I suppose in some sense, if you think about it, God is a stalker, not in the unhealthy sense. But he knows everything about us. He's familiar with all our ways. He is the relentless hound of heaven. Again, not in in an unhealthy way, but he's desirous for us. He even uses the word jealous for us. He's persistent and intentional about pursuing and inviting us to come to know him for our sake. For any relationship to actually be a relationship, there has to be some sort of reciprocity. And the more consistent the response, the more likely a healthy, growing relationship will develop. Some relationships, of course, come naturally and easily. You, you meet those people that you have things in common with, or maybe you're just a kindred spirit. It's easy to, to have a relationship with someone like that. Other relationships take more time and more work. God's calling us to relationship with Him. Jesus reveals a God whose nature it is to seek us out. But Scripture also says that God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. It's interesting. Sometimes it seems as though Scripture contradicts itself because there's another passage that says there's no one who seeks God. And yet Scripture also says that God rewards those who seek Him. And the reward is, I believe, the relationship and everything that comes with that. I may regret asking this question. I don't even know the answer to it. I suppose you could Google it or ask Siri. Um, But I don't know the answer. But I'm going to ask the question anyway. And I'm going to ask it because Jesus asked more questions than he gave information or answers. And so I'm simply following in the footsteps of Jesus. Here's the question. Does God pursue everyone equally? Does God pursue everyone equally? Equally, Is there the same or equal pursuit and invitation in everyone's life? 
My heart wants to say yes. My experience says otherwise. I'm not a Calvinist, not that there's anything wrong with being a Calvinist, but I'm not a Calvinist who believes that God chooses some but not others. Or hyper-Calvinists who believe that God even chooses some for destruction, damnation. Neither my past nor my present theological understanding will even permit me to go there. Scripture says God so loved the world, all people. Scripture also says that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Are all saved? Will all be saved? We should hope so. But somewhere between God's desire and man's response is the answer. I believe that God is in some way pursuing all people. But at some point, God's pursuit and his invitation must be met with an an openness, a cooperation, a willingness or desire to actually enter into this with God relationship. God's pursuit and invitation must be met by our response. And even that will not happen without divine intervention. I don't think anyone apart from God would choose God. We are not, however, mere robots. We have a part to play. When Jesus called Simon and Andrew to follow, which we just heard in our scripture, we're told that they dropped their nets at once. No hesitation to leave behind their fishing to become fishers of men, even though they couldn't possibly have known at that point yet what that would entail or what this adventure or journey would require. And the same was true of James and John. Jesus went a little further down the beach, apparently, to the other fishing company, and there he found James and John. And it says, without delay, Jesus called them, and they left to follow him. Jesus did not hesitate to, in, to invite, and those who received the invitation did not hesitate to drop everything to follow. This is, I suppose, the ideal response. It's immediate. These are Jesus' disciples in the forming, if you will. They are, in a word, here, if you're taking notes, this is a good word. They are fat. It's an acronym for faithful, available, teachable. Whatever's going on in their lives, you have to believe that they probably were already believers. They're they're Jewish young men, and uh, along comes Jesus, who uh, they begin to understand or believe or think hope that he's the Messiah, and so they drop everything to come follow him. I've known people who came to Jesus just as remarkably fast, though there were often factors, I suppose, that, were, that led up to those responses, and others who it seemed it took forever, months, even years, sometimes a lifetime, before someone eventually gives in to God's pursuit and invitation. Everyone's experience of God and coming to faith is different. Salvation is nothing more than staying connected to God, who is the source of life, of light and love. Your life, being fully alive, being fully human, living abundantly both now and in eternity, is dependent on connecting or staying connected with God, your Creator. It means responding to God's invitation to be in relationship with Him, to walk with Him, to join Him. I'm just going to a note on an, just an aside note, if you will. In fact, I thought of this as the choir was singing down by the river because in the scripture, Paul comes to, uh, I don't even remember what city it was. I'll bet Ralph remembers. And, uh, 
Anyway, Paul comes to a city, and he doesn't find anybody at the synagogue, but he goes down to the river, and there the women are gathered praying. And historically, and this is true of Christianity as well, women are often uh, more quick or more ready to be in relationship with God. And I think part of it is just the way you're wired. You know, women tend to be more relational, right? And guys, we just, um, we're handicapped sometimes when it comes to relationships. And uh, not everybody, of course. But um, I think for guys, especially American men, uh, our pursuit of a relationship is usually has to be some reason for it. Some interest, some common interest or a task or, or a hobby that we share. Uh, and so I think women tend to sign up quicker than men do for relationship. Um, just a few examples from Scripture where God pursued and, and invited, uh, and people responded affirmatively to God's pursuit and invitation. Enoch, do you know his story? Enoch is mentioned in, the, uh, in Genesis chapter 5, very near early in the Bible. It's chapter 5 is that genealogy, that long list of names that's sort of a monotonous and boring repetition. So-and-so was born, lived so many years, and died. And it's this repetition, born, lived, died, born, lived, died. And the only break in that, sometimes when you're reading Scripture, you just pass over that chapter because it's so boring. But if you do, you're going to miss the nugget that's right there in the middle of it. The one who broke that cycle of birth and death was Enoch. Scripture says Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. For God took him. And the implication is that Enoch, because he had this relationship with God, because he was walking with him, was delivered from death, from physical death. It's the first hope in Scripture. Remember, the consequence of the fall is death. It's the first hope in Scripture that by walking with God, by being in relationship with him, one can be delivered from death. Going on a little farther, we, we come to a man by the name of Abraham, who also walked with God. In fact, Abraham was called a friend of God. Don't you enjoy taking walks with friends? David, the boy who slew Goliath and became king of Israel, walked closely with God. Many of the Psalms, Israel's songbook, was written by David as he poured out his heart to God in joy and sorrow and victories and failures and praise and petitions in repentance and faith. David poured out his heart to God and David was called a man after God's own heart. The list goes on and on in Scripture. Joseph, Samuel, Jeremiah, Elijah and Elisha, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Peter, James and John, and the Apostle Paul and many others. And down through the ages, the church fathers and mothers Mystics and saints, humble believers, those who have possessed a deep and abiding faith, and those true elders, women and men in the church, whose lives have been marked by maturity and wisdom and who loved well. These are just some of the examples of people who responded to God's pursuit and invitation. God pursued them and they sought God with persistence and passion. And the reward was a rich relationship with God, that sustained them in good times and bad, through trials and temptations, through joys and sorrows. When God calls, when He invites us to join Him, we need to be ready to go. And I mean that not just the first time He calls, when He calls you to faith, but along the journey, God will call you at different times to go deeper, to go further, 
to a new task, a new calling, a new, a new opportunity to serve. When God calls, we need to be ready to go. Maybe the story of the ten virgins, the parable that Jesus told, the five wise, the five foolish, maybe that story is not only about the last day when the bridegroom comes back, because I think the bridegroom repeatedly comes to us and invites us to come with him, to follow, to journey with him, to join him in his work. How do we respond to God's invitation, to God's invitations? Jesus pursued people and he extended an invitation. The invitation began with a call to repent and believe the good news. Looking more closely at the text uh, this morning, our passage in Mark, Jesus, Mark tells us, began his ministry with the same message as that of John the Baptist. John got thrown into prison and uh, Jesus picked up the message and carried it on, though Jesus' style and strategy was completely different than that of John's. Jesus declared, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. The Greek word for repent here in verse 15 of our text this morning, the Greek word there means literally not, uh, it gets translated repent, but the word literally means change your mind. That's literally what the word means. And so listen again to that that verse, um, translating it literally, the time has come, The kingdom of God is at hand. Change your mind and believe the good news. What is Jesus calling us to change our minds about? Answer, the good news, the gospel. What is the gospel? It is this. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the good news that Jesus is proclaiming. In fact, if you look at Mark's text, it says that Jesus came proclaiming the good news. The kingdom, of hand, the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your mind. Believe it. That was, his, that was his message. So the kingdom of God. Putting it another way, Aslan has entered Narnia. The king and his subversive kingdom is in our midst like yeast, like a seed that is small but grows. It permeates the culture. It changes hearts, hearts and lives in individuals, transforming families and communities, and nations. Jesus invites people to follow him, to join him in his kingdom work of redemption, of reconciliation, of restoration in this world now, even as we look forward to the completion of that at the end of time. If God is pursuing and inviting you into relationship or into a deeper walk with him, what might he be calling you to change your mind about? Maybe it begins with changing your mind about what the kingdom and king about what kingdom and king you are aligning your life with or serving. Your own kingdom, the broken kingdoms of this world, or will you join the king of heaven and earth who comes to make all things new? Who comes to bring beauty and justice, healing and restoration, reconciliation and his transforming love into this world? Perhaps Jesus is calling you to change your mind about where you expect or hope to find life, even abundant life. To change your mind about who you are, your identity, your citizenship, who you belong to, and who you are serving. To change your mind about going through life alone or apart from God. To change your mind that maybe you don't know it all. 
that even what you know or what you think you know, even about God, may be skewed or distorted. To change your mind by allowing yourself to be open, available, and teachable. To change your mind even about what it means to truly follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus without repentance, without at some point changing your mind about a great many things, the value of all human beings, your own dignity and worth, loving others, even your enemies, nonviolence, forgiveness, leading by serving, living by dying, a willingness to empty yourself and trust God completely. Jesus invites you to come follow him so that you will become like him, to think as he thought, to feel as he felt, to act as he acted, to desire as he desired. As we become increasingly like Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the image of God is being restored in us. We participate in the divine nature. We are transformed into little Christ's. If we are to be the church of Jesus, not just play church, but be church, it will require us to be followers of Jesus. And listen, friends, following implies more than simply believing in Jesus. It means that we belong to him. We are united with him. He is in us. We are in him. He shapes and molds us to be like him. The history of Christianity, unfortunately, is convicting. When you put the history of Christianity alongside the person of Jesus Christ, things don't line up. They just don't. We, the church, big C and little c, fall short. I love the church, big C and little c. I've been in the church all my life. I've devoted my adult life to serving the church. I love the church. I love it. And so I speak with love, I speak with truth, but I also speak with a measure of sadness when I look at the church. Some theologians and scholars have even argued, whether they're right or not, that the message of the Christian church became a different message from that of Jesus. As shocking as that sounds, we have to ask ourselves if it isn't to some extent true. I think think one way that it has been true over the past century or so for evangelicals in particular, is that we have reduced, it's called reductionism, we have reduced the gospel to simply believing in Jesus so that when we die, we go to heaven. That is a truncated gospel. That's a, that's a tiny but important piece of the gospel. But it's only part of the good news of the kingdom. You understand that? Sometimes people have said to me about my preaching... I just want to hear about Jesus. I talk a lot about Jesus. But which Jesus are we talking about? Which Jesus do you want to hear about? The Jesus who simply calls us to believe in him for salvation, but largely ignores the necessity of living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, stooping to serve like Jesus, reaching out to the least and the lost like Jesus, forgiving enemies like Jesus, pouring yourself into others like Jesus, bringing real hope and healing to a broken world to others like Jesus, or living and walking by faith in a way that belies utter trust and confidence in a God who loves and provides like Jesus. 
I often feel like we need to relearn what it means to follow Jesus, to repent, to change our minds about what it means to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you've been in the church all your life like I have, we've been handed a script, and it needs to be constantly revisited. Don't assume that you've got it locked down because you almost certainly don't. I know I don't. I'm still, I'm still learning and growing. I wish I, knew, I wish I knew 20, 30, 50 years ago what I know today. But it's been a journey. And I'm still learning and I'm still growing. I trust that you are as well. But I'm accountable to clearly and compellingly communicate Christ to you in word and in deed. I'm in the Word all the time. I am in Christ. He is in me. I'm intentional about being with Jesus. Yes, I can improve that, but I am intentional about being with Him. And I spend time with other Christ followers, and I listen, and I learn what it means, and I watch what it means to be a follower. And I read. I pour over what people in the past have said what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I read contemporaries who build on and sometimes challenge what others have said what it means because I sincerely want to know Christ and I want to be faithful in following Him even as I invite you to follow with me. Listen, when Jesus invites us to follow, it is an invitation to enter into a new kingdom to leave behind the old confining kingdom of egotism, racism, nationalism, consumerism, hedonism, and all the other isms. And to live in the expansive kingdom of God in which we say all those isms are wasms. Following Jesus begins with repentance and faith, changing your mind and believing God. It means rethinking everything in light of Jesus' teaching. It means that you begin looking again at every facet of your life in this new light, from the way that you think about God to the way that you love your spouse and others, from your political affiliations to your spending habits, from what makes you angry to what makes you happy. It doesn't mean that everything changes all at once, but it means that you open up the possibility that everything may change in time. Whether Jesus is calling you to faith, the beginning of your journey, or he's calling you to enter into a new season of relationship with him, or whether he's calling you to a particular vocation or opportunity or task, may you take that invitation seriously prayerfully, discerning Jesus' voice and willing to drop whatever you need to to follow him. Following Jesus, by the way, is not a one-time decision. It is learning to follow every day over the whole course of your life. It is a new way of life, a new vocation centered in Jesus, centered in the teachings of Jesus. Friends, God comes to us through His Son, through Christ, and offers us a gracious invitation. All through Scripture, God is pursuing and inviting. Jesus invites us to join Him. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He sees your potential. Come and join your life to me, Jesus says. I will make you. Let Him unfold the potential that He's placed in you.
Abide in Him, and your life will produce much fruit. God pursues and invites you to companionship, to make a difference in the world, and together as the church, the body of Christ, together, we will be a shining city on a hill. Lifelong followers of Jesus, little Christ. Amen.